Father, thank you so much for your many, many blessings. Lord, thank you for giving us this building. Father, thank you for giving us the sacred scriptures. We pray this morning that as the word of God goes forth, you would open our eyes, open our minds. Father, we pray that we would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I love buildings, especially church buildings. Uh, I was an architecture major at Wazoo for a whole week until the math scared me away. But I've never lost my passion, my wonder, my awe for church buildings. When my wife and I moved to St. Louis back in 2000 for seminary, um, we drove around a lot just exploring the area. It's an older city, so there's lots of old, beautiful churches everywhere. So I drove my wife crazy, constantly saying, Heidi, stop the car. Look at the size of that steeple the next day. Heidi, stop the car. Look at those stained glass windows. Or Heidi, stop the car. I'm going to go and take a private tour of that church. I know it's closed, but I'll find a way in. You're thinking, yeah, I like church buildings too, I, I guess. You don't understand. I have pictures of church buildings on my study wall. I have not one, but two coffee table books full of pictures of churches, and I've read them several times. I really, really like church buildings. It's kind of an issue with me, in case you can't tell. So as you can imagine, I'm very excited today to finally have our own church building after nine years of wandering, five different buildings, uh, paying rent for nine years. We finally have our own building, and I'm excited. But, but, there is something far more exciting than a church building. And that is the church of Jesus Christ itself. The church is not a building. I'm thankful for this building. And I hope and pray that God uses this building for his glory in North Spokane. But I am far more excited about what's inside the church building. And that is the church itself. One point this morning. You and I should all be very very excited about the church of Jesus Christ. The question is, why? Why is it so exciting? Because of what the church is. We're going to look at four metaphors or pictures of the church from the New Testament this morning. And I hope and pray that as we think about these things, you too will be far more excited about the church than a church building. So what is the church? First, the church is the gathering of the called. The gathering of the called. The word for church in Greek, ekklesia, is used 114 times in the New Testament. And that word ekklesia um, comes from two words, ek and kaleo. Ek means out and kaleo means called. So the church are the people who have been called out of darkness into God's glorious light. The church is the gathering of the redeemed. 
They've been called out of this world, called out of slavery to sin, and called to gather with the saints on the Lord's day. Bible scholars often make a distinction between the universal church and the local church. But the vast majority of uses of the word ecclesia in the New Testament refer to the local church. For the New Testament writers of Scripture, there really was no category for someone involved in the universal church, that is the church of all people for all time, not simultaneously involved in a local church. The local church is the thing that's often referred to in the Bible when that word church is used. The church is the local gathering of the called. Have you ever been really, really excited to receive a phone call from someone? When I was a senior in college at WSU, the Harvard of the Palouse, I began to um, look for real jobs, career jobs. Yes, I'd had many jobs over the years, many part-time jobs, many full-time jobs, but I'd never had like a real legit career job, and I was about to get married, and so I really, really, really needed to find a legit career job with benefits and decent pay. So I began to apply for jobs with insurance companies. I was an insurance minor at WSU. Yes, that exists. Um, and I traveled over to Seattle several times for interviews, and all the companies said, we'll call you back. So I was very excited to receive a call from one of these companies. So every day, I'd get home from class, run up the stairs of my fraternity, walk into my bedroom, and I would look at my desk and look to see if there was a blinking light on my answering machine. This is before cell phones. It's a long time ago. And if that light was blinking, it meant there was a, a message, a voicemail for me. When that light blinked, my heart, would, heart rate would increase a little bit. I'd get excited. Go grab the phone and I'd dial the message number. And I was hoping and praying that at some point I would receive the call to finally be in the big game, to finally have a legit job to impress my future father-in-law and to impress my future spouse. And finally... The day came when State Farm Insurance gave me that call back, and they gave me my first job, a real job, a career job. I was ecstatic about receiving that call. It was exciting. But if you're a Christian, you have been called to something far greater than a career with State Farm Insurance. You have been called. By the maker of all things, you have been called by God the Father to be a member of his family and to gather with the saints on the Lord's day. What a privilege. You've been called out of darkness, called out of the slavery of sin, and you've been called to the triune God, and he's also called you to gather on a regular basis with all the saints. The church of Jesus Christ is first and foremost the gathering of the called. It's a community of the saints. What do they gather around? Well, historically, since the Reformation 500 years ago, Protestants have argued that when the church gathers, they gather to do three things. They gather around the preaching of God's word. These are called the marks of the church. They gather around the sacraments, and they gather for the sake of church discipline. The church is gathering for those three things, which means, by the way, 
gathering with your family to watch church online is not church. Gathering with friends at Starbucks for coffee is not church. Now, those things are good, and there are seasons we go through where we have to do that for whatever reason, but that is not the ideal. That is not God's plan. God's plan for you as Christians is to gather on a regular basis with all those who have been called by God. That's exciting. You get to be with the people of God. God has called you to himself, and God has called you to gather with the saints. The church is the gathering of all those who have been called savingly by God Almighty. The Church of Jesus Christ is the local gathering of the called. Why else is the church so exciting? Number two, the church is the family of God. Now, the Bible often describes the church as a household, another name for a family. Consider these two passages, Galatians 6.10. The author of Galatians says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that word household, another word for family. Ephesians 2.19, Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You should be wondering at this point, how in the world can you and I, sinners, be members of God's household or family? How in the world does that happen? Isn't God holy Holy, holy, yes. But God in his grace and kindness has made a way for us sinners to be members of his very family. Wow. That's amazing. How does this happen? God the Father sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live a perfect life, to suffer and die in the place of sinners to rise from the grave. And all those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, are forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future, thought, word, and deed, all those sins removed. And then it gets even better. Then we are able to be adopted by God, the maker of all things. Now, I love the doctrine of justification, the doctrine that you and I get to be declared righteous even though we are not. I love the fact that Christians are redeemed, that is, they are freed from sin, from Satan, the fear of death. And I love the fact that Christians can be forgiven of all their sins, but the greatest privilege by far of salvation is none of those things. The greatest privilege of salvation is that you and I, wayward children, get to be adopted by God Almighty, which means that God wants more than a legal relationship with us. He wants to be our Father. He wants a close, intimate relationship with us. And when God adopts us into his family and gives us, by the way, all of the blessings 
and privileges earned by his own son, Jesus, we get those benefits earned by Jesus. We get all that. And then God gives us millions and millions of spiritual siblings, the family of God. The church is the family of God because God's adopted us into his family. Which means if you're a Christian, you have, again, millions and millions and millions of siblings that you can relate to. In 1952, a probation officer in New York City tried to find an organization to adopt a young, wayward boy. He tried and he tried and he tried, and no one wanted this child. He even reached out to all the denominations, and none of them wanted this child because this particular child was a member of a smaller, lesser-known Christian denomination. And so this child, as you can imagine, felt unloved, unwanted, disenfranchised, and lonely. Yet if someone would have adopted this particular boy, history probably would have been very different. This child's name was Lee Harvey Oswald the one who killed JFK. Now, we don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet that if he had been adopted and loved and cared for, he would have had a much different life. Adoption changes us. When kids are adopted, everything changes for them. They have love, they have a family, they have parents, they have siblings. When you and I are adopted by God, everything changes. God becomes our Father, and we become members of His family, the Church of Jesus Christ. One theologian says that salvation is a family-creating event. Again, justification is the idea that you and I, though we are sinners, can be declared righteous by God. This theologian made up a word. He calls it familiification. We've been familiified. Not just justified, but familiified. When we become Christians, we automatically and instantly become members of God's family. It's a fact that can't be avoided. If you're a Christian, you are a member of the family of God. Now, here's the thing. God wants to have a very close-knit family. Some of you may come from very broken, dysfunctional families. I get it. When you hear the word family, you think of Screaming, anger, unforgiveness, violence, bitterness. But the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is meant to be so different. In this family, God expects us to and God calls us to extravagantly love and serve and pray for and give to one another. Who is that one person in this family this week? that's in need, that you can reach out to. Make a phone call, set up a meeting, give some money away, help someone move, just be a friend. You're a member of the family of God. Close-knit family relationships only happen if we spend lots of time together. And at a church this size, if you're not involved in a small group or a discipleship group, it's really, really hard nearly impossible, to have those close-knit family relationships. So let me plead with you. 
to join a small group or a discipleship group so that you have people that you can love and interact with and encourage and they can encourage you. Go to our website. Look at the small group leaders. Call one. And they, that, those leaders will be so excited if you call them. Now, some of the groups are way too big. Don't call those groups. If you call them, they'll tell you, we're too big, sorry. But there's a lot of groups that would love to have you join them. I know you're afraid to call people if you don't know them, but I guarantee you, if you call those people on that list on our website, they would love to invite you in to their group. And you can be a part of a family. In addition, close-knit family relationships only come when people are committed through thick and thin to loving and serving each other. This kind of love requires commitment. So let me encourage you to take the membership class and join the church. And if you do, you will agree to what is called the GCF membership agreement. Now, historically, all Protestant denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Congregationalist, Anglicans, they've all had what are called church covenants. We call it membership agreements. It's basically just spelling out what are we obligated to biblically with those that we are meeting with on the Lord's Day. So if you join this church, you'll sign that agreement, and you'll say, yes, I agree to love and serve these people in this church. They're all biblical things, nothing weird or cultish. But without commitment, it's hard to love people. Because when it gets hard, what are you going to do? You're just going to leave. But if you're committed to being there thick and thin, It'll make loving and serving easier. Is this family perfect? No. Why? Because you're all here. And I'm here. And we're all sinners. And every church is a community of broken sinners coming to Jesus for forgiveness, grace, and healing. So people in this church, maybe me, will sin against you. But how much glory does God receive when everyone is really easy to love? Not that much. But when two very different people of different opinions on secondary things end up loving and serving and praying for each other and forgiving each other, how much glory does God receive then? Way more glory. And God has given us everything we need as the church to love and serve and forgive and be patient with those around us. He wants to help us love and serve each other. And again, which member of this family can you love this week? Who needs a phone call? Who needs coffee? Who needs a meal? Think of that person and respond by reaching out today. Take the initiative. The church is the gathering of the called. The church is the family of God. Why else is the church so exciting? Because third, the church is the body of Christ. Now, the New Testament frequently refers to the church as the body of Christ. The body metaphor emphasizes both the unity and diversity of the church. Consider the words of 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 20. The Apostle Paul says this, speaking of the church, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What a beautiful metaphor. The body of Christ is composed of a variety of parts, the head, the nose, the knee, the eye, the ankle. Different types of people here at GCF with different gifts to contribute, different backgrounds, different economic categories, but there's one body. The world today tries to foist diversity on us. The Church of Jesus Christ, the diversity arises naturally. As God in His grace redeems a large variety of people, Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, Northsiders, Southsiders, Seahawks fans, Packers fans. God is bringing together for his glory a diverse group of people, which means that racism and sexism and classism has no place at all in the body of Christ. And amen is okay if you want. And by the way, that is not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. Go back to my Ephesians 2 sermon several months ago where I talked about how Jesus Christ is passionately opposed to racism, and it's the church of Jesus Christ that displays the manifold diversity of the grace of God. The body metaphor also emphasizes love for others. Addressing the church in Corinth, Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 12, 25-27, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If one part of the body suffers, the whole body should feel that. Now, about two or three months ago, and I told the story before, if I have, I'm going to tell it again. Sorry, not sorry. I was uh, at North Park working out, and I was on a machine that I was not using properly. My fault. I was doing this workout thing, and, and I, I heard this loud crack or pop, not the machine, my back. And it hurt really bad. I, I had to hobble my way over to the bench. And then I sat down with my hands on my lap, looking down, and I thought, I'm going to throw up all over the floor of North Park. That's how bad it hurt. And then I actually blacked out on the bench at North Park for a few seconds. It hurt. It was painful. Now, the next couple of days, even though it was only my back that was bothering me, my whole body was intimately aware of all that pain in my back because I couldn't walk. I could hardly sit, and I could hardly lay down to sleep. One part of my body was suffering, but the whole body, all of this, felt it. Paul is saying, in the body of Christ, if one of you is suffering, if one of you is in pain, if one of you is experiencing significant hardship or trial, the whole body should feel it. And if not, something is wrong. 
when one of us is suffering or struggling, I hope and pray that everyone dives in to help because everyone feels the pain of that one person. The body metaphor also emphasizes the headship of Jesus Christ. The New Testament declares that Christ is the head of his body, the church. Now, sadly, many people today say they want Jesus, but not the church. Or they want spirituality, just not religion. As I mentioned a few weeks back, scholar Kevin DeYoung calls this mentality decorpulation, which comes from two words. Decapitation comes from the Latin word caput, which means to cut someone's head off. So in gangster movies, when the mob boss says caput, that's what he means. The other word, corpus, is the Latin word for body. So the word decorpulation means to cut off the body, which is such a strange and bizarre word picture. How many of you have ever seen a headless body walking around? Raise your hand. No one has. Because as soon as the head is removed from the body, what happens to the body? It dies instantly, doesn't it? Yet so many of us, we want Jesus, the head, but we don't want his body. And Paul is saying, you can't do that. You can't violently separate the head from the body. If you love Jesus, the head, then you're also going to love his body, the church. Which is why the New Testament just expects every Christian to be intimately involved in the body of Christ, loving the body of Christ. Because if we love Jesus, we'll love his body. We can't say we love Jesus, the head, if we ignore his body or never meet with his body, the church. The two are intimately and vitally connected. The church is the gathering of the called. The church is the family of God. The church is the body of Christ. Why else is the church so exciting? Fourth and finally, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22. Paul here is describing the church of Jesus Christ in whom the whole structure, that is the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Church of Jesus Christ, the new and better temple is indwelled by the very presence of God. Now I know and I love the fact that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present in his vast universe. But the Bible's very clear that he only manifests that presence in certain parts of his creation. And the church of Jesus Christ, the new temple of the Spirit, is the only place in all of creation where God promises to manifest his presence when the saints gather on the Lord's day. Okay, what about Matthew 18 where Jesus says, whoever two or three are gathered, there I'll be with them. What is the context of Matthew 18? This is the most abused passage in the Bible, probably. What's the context of Matthew 18? Someone tell me. Church discipline. <laughs> Jesus is saying, where two or three are gathered for the sake of church discipline, there I am in their midst. He's talking about the church gathering. 
The gathered church is the only place in all of creation where God promises to manifest His life-giving presence. And you get to be a part of it. Now hopefully you've experienced that presence. As we sing truths from Scripture, hopefully God whispers to you that He loves you. As you hear preaching from God's Word, hopefully you've experienced the presence of Christ through conviction and specific application. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we pray that God would manifest His presence by the Spirit to drive home the realities of the Gospel. We hope and pray that God manifests His presence like He promises to do when the saints gather on the Lord's Day. We get to be in God's very presence. Last summer, my family had the privilege of spending several weeks in Washington, D.C., which meant that we got to go to the Citigroup Open, which is a professional tennis event with some of the best tennis players in the world showed up for this event. We were, it's a two-week-long event, thousands of fans from all over the world there to see their favorite tennis players. The place was packed shoulder to shoulder, hard to walk around. But at one point, we're walking through the crowd, going to the next court to watch another match, and we hear all this commotion. There he is. He's right over there. Is that really him? Is he really present right now in this huge mob of fans? Grab your phone. Take a picture. Who was it? They were all so excited to be around. Francis Tiafo. Sure, many of you have heard of. Francis Tiafo is a young rising American tennis star from the DC area. And he happened to be walking through the crowds, walking with the little people, out and about, mingling with the fans, and everyone freaked out. And, and he's only been ranked as high as like 19th in the world. But people were super excited to be in the presence of Francis Tiafo. That may not excite you, but what if that was Tom Brady or Cooper Cup? Or what if that was Taylor Swift or John Mayer? Right there, 10 feet away from you. Would you be excited? I mean, a little bit excited? Nobody? You guys are all lying, okay? That'd be kind of exciting to be in the presence of such fame and greatness and power and wealth. Every single Lord's Day, you and I have the incredible privilege of being in God's very presence. The Church of Jesus Christ, not the building, the gathered saints, is the only place on planet Earth where God promises to manifest His presence. Now, here's the thing. So not, not always manifest with the same amount of power. So let me encourage you to pray with us that God would manifest His presence even more as we gather through the singing, the preaching, the fellowship, the sacraments. When revival comes to the church, that's what happens. God manifests His presence in a profound way and lives are eternally changed. I hope and pray that our little prayer meeting, Sundays at 9.30, grows. 
There were, there's a group back this morning called our living room, back in a room back there, praying for this service. And friends, we can do nothing to change anyone's heart or life without the manifest presence of God. So please, pray with us that God would come and empower the preaching, empower the singing, manifest His presence. Because when God manifests His presence, everything changes. Psalm 16:11, the psalmist writes, God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. The church of Jesus Christ is not primarily a social club, a place to see friends, a place to hear a pep talk, a place to get a little bit of motivation or inspiration for the week. The church of Jesus Christ is the temple of the living God. The only place on earth where God promises to manifest His presence. And it has nothing to do with a building. But I love this building, and I'm thankful for it. Well, in conclusion, let me ask you a question. What excites you this morning? Making more money? Winning the lotto? Getting to the right college? The adoration of peers? The latest show on Netflix? Working out, watching football? A new church building? What really excites you? Some of these things are exciting, don't get me wrong. But there's something far more exciting than all these things combined. You and I get to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, the risen and reigning one. Why is that so exciting, Dave? The church is the gathering of the called. The church is the family of God. The church is the body of Christ, and the church is the temple of the Spirit. There is something far more exciting than making money, acquiring stuff, having a jacked body, and watching the latest show on Netflix. You were redeemed by the triune God to glorify His name through active participation in a local gathering of believers. That's why you exist. That's why I exist. To glorify God. Your active involvement in this body of believers. That's exciting. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we're so thankful that you have made us members of the family of God. You have made us part of your body, and you have allowed us to experience your presence in this temple, the new temple, the Church of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that all of us would grow in our love for the church, grow in our passion for the church. Lord, help us build our lives around the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that so many people in this room are doing that so, so well, so effectively. I pray that all of us this week would take steps forward in our love for your bride, the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.